Some of you might recall the 90s TV sitcom, Mad About You. In it, actor Paul Reiser's character was a filmmaker, and in one of my favorite episodes, he's hired by Yoko Ono to complete a nearly impossible task, to film the wind. The episode follows him as he stands on a rooftop in New York City with his camera, praying for wind, yelling for wind, looking everywhere for evidence of a slight breeze and nothing. We cannot see the wind, but we can see the effect that the wind has on other objects. For example, we can see leaves being carried on the wind, branches bending in the wind, kites carried up as if on wings. So we see evidence of wind. We cannot grasp the wind, but we can feel it on our face or our bodies. On a bitterly cold day, a sharp wind can cut through layers of our clothing and find its way past buttons and cuffs to chill us. Or on a sunny, warm spring day, I relish the feeling of a fresh, cool breeze. We feel evidence of the wind. Now, wind is something you can't hear unless you're in it. You can hear leaves rustling around, but it's not the wind itself. But you can hear the wind if you are experiencing it, as the air enters your ear canal and vibrates your eardrums. Sometimes the wind can be so loud it blocks out other sounds. Jesus tells Nicodemus that just as we may hear the sound of wind, but we don't know where the wind comes from or where it goes, so it is with the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of our scriptures, first book, first chapter, first verse, we have God's presence imagined as moving, changing, altering, shifting wind over the face of the waters. Now, I think Jesus is a little playful with Nicodemus, talking about waters and spirit mixing, because I do think that water and spirit mixes in the waters of birth, but in baptism, those water and spirit mix in a different way, in rebirth. In the Christian community, we baptize with water, and in our baptismal prayer, we pray that the water is blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this scripture, you may have noticed that there are two verses that echo one another. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And a little later, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Now, I lift these two verses because they've been used in other contexts to justify the belief that Uh, There is a uh, heaven, and I'm going to put heaven in quotes here because the passage actually doesn't say heaven at all. Um, So justify the belief that heaven is some sort of exclusive club where only the baptized can get past the the velvet rope. And it's one of the reasons why, as a student chaplain, uh, one of my uh, areas in the hospital was high-risk maternity. And so one of my duties was to swiftly baptize infants 
um, as their parents were frantically worried that their child would die before being baptized and thus be excluded from God's love in the afterlife. Now, I don't believe that that is true. I, I don't believe that these um, infants needed that rush emergency baptism to be held in God's love for eternity, but their parents did, and so I did what I could um, to help them with that. Now, churches with this understanding of baptism place a huge emphasis on converting and baptizing others. This is the kind of church that I actually grew up in. So one of the things that we did was we collected money to send missionaries all over the world to baptize people because we were afraid that anyone who was not baptized was going to be excluded from God's love. Again... That's not something that I resonates with me, and if that can be, a, that's a whole other sermon. Whole other sermon. Now, other churches hear the scripture and they focus on this idea of being born again, uh, being a born again Christian, uh, likens life with Christ to this dramatic, life altering epiphany of moving from the comfortable but limited darkness of the womb to suddenly being burst into the light. Churches with this understanding teach that only those who have been born again and baptized as an adult are true followers of Christ. That was also the kind of church I grew up in. However, when I read, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. I I do hear exclusivity, but I don't hear this call that someone has to engage in a certain ritual in order to be part of God's kingdom. And I don't hear it as, as ritualistic, as you have to do these steps. And I also don't hear it as being exclusive to Christians. And I don't hear anything about heaven or the afterlife. What I do hear in this is this wise statement from Jesus that those who are more in tune with the divine, who are born of the spirit, see and feel and experience and understand the world differently than those who are focused on tangible, touchable, earthly things. That people in tune with spirit have a deeper understanding and a deeper hope for transformation of new life, of living differently, of being in harmony with God and one another, and seeing the possibility of God's realm, of God's kingdom, and living into that possibility. It's because of this broader understanding of the scripture, um, of what I believe that Jesus is communicating, that I do believe that God's spirit is not exclusive to Christians or even to people of the Abrahamic faiths, which include Judaism and Islam. I come to that because the text says God so loved the world. And I believe that God continues to love the world, the whole world, and that God's spirit that once surrounded this whole planet continues to do so. That that shifting, blowing spirit that was indiscriminate in the beginning continues to flow across every ocean and every land. To me, believing in an active, still-speaking, ever-present God 
is in some ways to believe in a God who's not exclusive to us, but who acts throughout the world. Now, I also believe that God, through Christ, was revealed to us in a particular way, opened our eyes and hearts, made us aware of the holy among us, taught us about God's interactions with the world, and indeed, as the scripture says, came to save the world. I do believe that. However, when I hear the idea of being born into the spirit and suddenly understanding more about the realm of God, To me, that echoes ideas of Buddhism, for example, that describe enlightenment, a clarity of vision and being detached from the physical world to dwell in the spiritual. Similar ideas exist throughout religious groups. One idea of seeing more clearly or seeing differently once one finds unity with the spirit. So how is it that some people seem so spirit-filled and others not? Do any of you have those people in your life, people who seem so in tune with God, who have such an active spiritual life, and you're like, I mean, I like God and all, but wow, you are really like connected. Do you see those people? Do you wonder how they got to that point? So I've been playing with the idea of spirit as wind. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as wind, so let's look at what wind is. Little little middle school science for you. You ready? So heat rises, yes? We know this? All right. So heat rises. When air is warmed, it rises. And when warm air rises, it creates a vacuum. And it's into that vacuum that the cold or cooler air rushes in because it comes below. So heat rises and the cooler air fills in. Do you have that visual, how that works? That's why you can look forward to a cold breeze on a warm day, but you're not going to get a warm breeze on a cold day. It's not going to happen. So if God's spirit is like wind, then we need to create some space for God to come and fill us. So some people engage in specific practices to help them do that. Practices like prayers that empty themselves of worry, or meditations that empty the mind, or fasting that empties the body. This this attempt to make space in ourselves for God to come in. We choose to come here to worship, to be away from our daily routine, to set aside this time. This time is emptied of all but connection with God. We put away our to-do lists. We, we empty ourselves this time. There are times when we empty our service of words and we, we listen simply to music. And there are times when we empty it of everything and have silence. All of this is in the hopes that in that emptiness that the spirit might be invited to come and fill. So these are some intentional ways to seek connection, but it's also true that there are unplanned moments of grace, of love, of humor in the service that remind us of the blessings we receive when all we are are open to the presence of God. And sometimes we experience, uh, we make room for God by emptying our lives of burdens but also emptying our lives of securities. 
I've heard stories from people saying that it was in their most desperate moments that they were suddenly aware of God's presence in their lives. That the moment they were most emptied of hope, emptied of security, even emptied of faith, it was into that void that God swept in to touch their life and help them see in a new way. In this Lenten season, it's something to be mindful of as we approach the cross and the tomb. Well, we kind of know the end of the story. We know the joy that awaits us on Easter morning. It's important to at first be a part of that emptying, to remember how Jesus felt abandoned by his friends, how his followers were emptied of hope, how Jesus's body was emptied of life, and how all of that enabled us to walk and encounter the empty tomb all to make room for the spiritual rebirth that transformed the world.